The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Wolf and Bull podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Daremore Media, the Wolf and Bull, or its affiliates. The Wolf and Bull podcast is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast is for expressive listening entertainment. Listener discretion is advised. Podcast, a podcast for captivating conversation without conditions. I am the wolf, and with me, I also have my co-host. The bull is in the house, as always. Yeah, there he is. We have an excellent episode in store for you today. But before we jump into that, if you like our content, you can find us at the Wolf and Bull on Instagram. I'm gonna have it right here, a little blurb right there. You can also find us on YouTube. We release our audio episodes on Thursdays and we release the video episodes on Fridays to YouTube and Rumble. We'd love for you to become a part of the pack. Just a quick reminder, for all of our listeners. This episode is brought to you by Americano Ammunition Coffee, serving American patriots the mean to defend their freedom one caffeinated caliber at a time. Make sure to visit their website, ammoandcoffee.com, and grab yourself a bag of coffee beans or visit their shop in Queen Creek, Arizona. Mention the Wolf and Bull at checkout and you'll receive 25% off of your order. So we're pretty stoked about that. I happen to love the Desert Eagle. Bull, are there any... Any I just love the calibers and the coffee at the same time. It's a good combination. Yeah, it is. Especially here in Arizona. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. It is probably one of the only coffee shops I've ever been to that actually sells ammunition as well as coffee. They're wonderful people. Make sure to visit them. And on top of that, their coffee is phenomenal. So in store for you guys today, viewers and listeners, we have a very special episode. Joining us on the show today is two-time American Ninja Warrior National Finalist, Adventure Host, Wildlife Expert, and Conservationist, Anthony Porter. Welcome to the Wolf and Bull Podcast, Anthony. What is up, Bull and Wolf? How's it going today? It's going well. It's going well. We're very excited to have a conversation with you. Good. Awesome. Glad to be here, guys. Yeah, totally. Uh, So how have you been, man? You've you've been all over the place. Were you in Hawaii a few weeks ago? Uh, Yeah, I... uh, I have these sunglasses that I'm sporting today because I found them on a hiking trail in Hawaii when I lost mine like an hour before. Uh, yeah, I just came back from Hawaii, God, was that a week ago? And right now I'm in San Diego. I'm going to go visit the uh, family after this at SeaWorld, which I used to work at SeaWorld, so it's going to be funny to go back there. But, oh, man. Yeah, what did you I'm, do at SeaWorld? Uh, I used to be an educator there. So I'd be the, cool. I had the headphones on. I'd be like, welcome, everybody. This is what we're going to learn about the sharks today. And then I would like pick up like a giant like horseshoe crab and be like, feel the horseshoe crab's carapace. It was like a whole thing. But uh, yeah, and then I'm moving to Lake Tahoe in four days. Really? So never never stop moving. That is yeah. awesome. That is awesome. SeaWorld, I had no idea you worked at SeaWorld. And were you there when they were still doing the Shamu thing and everything like that? No, I was there in 20, uh, 2018 maybe. So I was there for like, a I minute. worked there for like a month. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> okay. I, Got tired you, of horseshoe crabs, have, huh? you had to have a degree to work there and you a vigorous process to get there. You had to like memorize scripts for them. You had to show up on site. And then when you got there, um, they're like, all right, they, they graded you. It's like this whole panel. Like you thought you were like getting your dissertation graded or something. So, <sighs> and then they're like, they called me up. They're like, congratulations. You've got the job for 1230 an hour. <laughs> wow. And, uh, <laughs> it was part time, but you're on call. So like, you, it's very hard to have another job with it. A lot of people end up trying, like, getting another job situated, but it just, like, I, there's no way I could have lived. It was a fun job, 
and I really, for me personally, like the, the environmental ethics of it, there's always a hot topic around SeaWorld and what they're, what they're doing. So I wanted to see for myself and kind of cut the noise out and see firsthand. So yeah, I don't know. It was fun. I thought maybe you left because the horseshoe crabs were being abused or something like that. <laughs> Actually, fun fact is horseshoe crabs are considerably abused. Not very, really? but just in the, in the world in general. They have extraordinarily uh, unique blood of any animal on the planet. They actually have blue blood. Huh. And um, hmm. yeah, actually, if you want to check out another podcast on Radiolab, they have an entire episode dedicated to horseshoe crabs, and it's for... It's some blood condition, but like they only find this protein inside of blue blood in horseshoe hmm. crabs. It's crazy, but uh, yeah, like extremely traffic. Are they? Are they? Wow. They're not endangered, are they? Uh, you'll have to double check I on that. But I, I, I would don't say think no. they are. They're yeah, pretty they plentiful. You know, it's funny because uh, uh, there's a lot of things, and we'll probably get into this a little bit in one of the segments as well, because there's there are way too many things that still, in today's age, are trafficked like you wouldn't believe all over yeah. the world. A lot yeah. of specific oh, countries, you know, for their medicinal, supposed medicinal purposes that maybe are, maybe aren't, who knows. A lot of it, most, most of it's probably not. But that doesn't mean that, that, you know, historically, you know, certain people believe in that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a big thing that has been on my mind recently is is I mean, it's okay to have a ritualist ritualistic practice. I mean, they're everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But now as a human society, we're we're so much more freaking influential. I mean, we're we're globalized. So, imagine this tiny like imagine a, a rite of passage is to kill a boar, right? And then now when instead of a, a tribe of a thousand, they're a tribe of 7 million. Mm-hmm. There's a bigger effect. So, scaling our culture with our population i don't know it's an interesting topic well well you know way back when 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 it was a rite of passage to kill the boar after you killed the boar you know the tribe ate the boar you know, they nowadays, ate everything yeah so it goes away from there was a tribalistic aspect and not tribalistic a ritualistic aspect to things but there was yeah. a consequence to it that you know supplied something for the tribe right and, yeah. and now that's not as necessarily the case it's not supplying any anything except uh I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, some some kind of remembrance of things past, you know, some kind of thing. Exactly. Like uh, well, right. let me go ahead and jump into the monologue. Cool. <clears throat> I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. America, for many of us, has become a road-worn weary with the footsteps of those that came before us. We spend much of our time on our phones, watching TV, escaping into a video game, or endlessly scrolling the internet, searching for emotional stimulus, never thinking about the world that lies outside our front door. If we were to venture outside, we'd find a fascinating and essential part of our world, the vast and diverse landscapes that surround us, sustains us, and provides us with everything from clean air, water, food, and even shelter. Research published in January of 2020 from Frontiers in Psychology has shown that spending time in nature can reduce stress, anxiety, improve mood, boost creativity, and increase energy levels. As little as 10 minutes of sitting or walking in a diverse array of natural settings significantly and positively impacted defined psychological and physiological markers of mental well-being. On the medical side, being outdoors can improve cardiovascular health and reduce the risk of chronic multitude Uh, diseases. Despite all these benefits, our modern and fast-paced lives often provide the perfect excuse to forget how important being in nature really is. 
Being outdoors is a nice change of scenery, helping us to reconnect with ourselves and with the world, the actual world, around us. Nature breaks us from the constant distractions of life and our daily routines. It allows us to tune into our senses and inner selves. Taking the time to slow down, appreciate the beauty of the world, and be present in the moment. Being outdoors not only allows you to connect with yourself, but it also allows you to connect with the nature around you, building upon your understanding of danger, its importance, and its fragility. Maybe nature is what many of us need more of, to experience what is what it is to explore again, to witness the natural beauty of the world, to break away from the nonsense that consistently begs our attention. In episode 87, we've decided to invite our friend Anthony Porter on to discuss his experiences as an outdoor expert, professional athlete, and how ethical and effective environmental initiatives can make the world a better place and how venturing off the beaten path onto a road less traveled can benefit each of us. Very nice. Very nice. I feel like I should get up right now and go for a hike, though. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm feeling empowered <laughs> yeah. to do that right now. I feel that, too. I also <laughs> always feel that, but I feel that especially now. <laughs> yeah. No, you it's... probably do, don't you, Anthony? You probably feel like I need to get up and go constantly. Yeah. You know? uh, it's it's a good feeling. My mom's like, are you ADHD? Are you ADD? Like, are you just moving around all the time? Like, I don't want to not move around. It's not like a like a primal like i can't not do it i just genuinely don't want to be sitting in a chair for more than six hours mm. but or if you're sitting in a chair for several hours you want it to be outdoors right ah that's hard yeah usually i mean when i go on some of these listless walks that i like to do my one goal especially like when it's three feet of snow out I'm like today my goal is to find a place to sit a nice <laughs> place to sit and sometimes i mean it's like snow super high it's actually a challenge um yeah. so that's always like, if I have nothing to do when I'm out on a walk, that's like, I'm going to find the perfect place to sit down and just enjoy. So yeah, it gives you, so, yeah, you're right. It gives you more um, on top of that. It gives you more perspective. I feel like, I mean, at least from my perspective, it's, I do a lot of sitting inside. So when I do get outdoors, it's a, uh, I'm part of the problem is what I'm saying. <laughs> but when I, when I do get outdoors, <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, something that I truly enjoy. And I know that, uh, the bull and I, we've been on some adventures together outdoors. Um, and uh, you know, I'd love to continue that. Uh, but first off for our viewers and listeners, if you haven't followed Anthony's Instagram already uh, at outdoor Anthony, make sure to do it. Uh, he provides some incredible educational and uh, engaging content for anyone looking to learn more about the ad- outdoors. Now, Anthony, I absolutely love your content, and it seems like you've been all over the place lately. Is there anything particular that you've been up to or anything that you're working on currently? Yeah, man, uh, I have been up to everything. It's been nuts. Um, yeah, so a few of my videos went viral in like December, mm. and since then, my followership had went from like 3,000, and now I think today I'm at 127,000. And it's just all been like zany, quirky stuff. So uh, I, I finished up a job in December working for the family business. And then since I got this new job in Lake Tahoe um, in later February, I've had like a month and a half just to really focus on my craft and relax. And and I got to say, like the times where I have not focused on being viral and, and not like going out and, and really making content for other people. When I just started to be an absolute idiot and a goof, that's when people started to pay attention to me. Who, well, I, think you got, I think you've got a genetic disposition to do that kind of stuff too. If I, if I <laughs> oh, recall really? correctly from uh, someone that I know's youth, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I saw one the other day that you did. It was, uh, you were like taking the perspective of, of a couple of different, like a, uh, an animal or something you were tracking d- downwind or upwind. I can't remember exactly how you did it. <laughs> 
And I went, oh, my God, that is freaking hilarious. And But, you know, it's, it's funny because that kind of content, um, it captures attention. Mm-hmm. And it captures attention to something you're you're trying to, to broadcast and teach somebody anyway, which is, I think that's half the battle. You're not just being, I, I know you said I'm like being a goof or whatever you just said, but if there's a message behind it that people can grab a hold of and actually learn from, and yeah. what they're going to remember is is Anthony Porter doing some crazy thing in the middle of the woods, but they're going to remember what you were saying. Yeah, don't be don't be uh, downwind from from a predator, right? <laughs> exactly. So I try to do that. I try to do my my format is pepper in some facts, code it with an absolute ridiculous scenario that that you can use in real life. So in this video that the bull's talking about, I was tracking a version of me with an Indiana Jones hat on that was playing like a Game Boy, but I had like a light, a Buzz Lightyear sword. Um, because like, I have a lot of swords. I have a lot of weapons, but I knew that if I made it super intense with real swords and like arrows and stuff, it wouldn't attract all the audiences. But if I made it with like M&Ms and lightsabers and Buzz Lightyear swords, then and I got a huge uh, receive, like receiving, which was nice. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, try to be educational and as non-offensive as possible. <laughs> like yeah. I don't have a stance in these videos, so it's fun to just make stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. And I, I think, uh, Wolf, you probably have some statistics. I know you and in your notes, you always have some great statistics to, to talk about, but I, I think one of the things that, that, you know, and I've got a, a lot of age on YouTube for sure. So I remember a time when the only thing to do was go outdoors. You know, I, I did grow up on a farm in, in, in the countryside, but even, even if you were growing up in the city, you were out and about, you, you know, you, there weren't, you didn't have the phone, you didn't have the video games, you didn't have the kind of communication elements and entertainment elements that come at you like crazy these days. And I'm not excusing anybody for not doing or doing different things. But the point is, is getting out there and, and it, whether it's up in Lake Tahoe or whether it's your backyard, you know, mm-hmm. getting out and enjoying the outside. And that's part of the human, you know, experience really it should be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, uh, every once in a while I'll post, I'll say, Hey guys, share a, share an adventure you've had recently and I'll post it on my page and I'll just like share your adventure with everybody else. And I'll get messages from people. Exactly what you said. Well, like I've just only been in my backyard today. This is a picture of the plant outside of my front yard. And I'm like, an adventure is an adventure, man. Like, don't don't discount because you're not in like the Alps. Like, mm. you doing something that you don't usually do that is an adventure. And this the it's baby steps to go to those big ones. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of people, especially on Instagram and on social media sites, they see people like, oh yeah, I've been uh, I've been skydiving since I was twelve. Like they're, they're they're so they're like, oh my god, like I'm never close to that like yeah. no go outside and and eat that berry figure it out actually don't do that well, i was gonna say <laughs> but but that's it's there's so the many levels show of, does um, not expressly yeah, does we not, don't condone uh, agree with that particular eat the berry statement eating the berry may result in diarrhea and, and dying yeah. so don't do that <laughs> well you know you know uh, it's funny anthony because the other the other side of that is you know when you watch this stuff on and there's some absolutely beautiful reels and things of you know spectacular mountainside and they got the music going nicely in the background and you you look at that and go god i want to go there and but what they're not showing you and you know wolf and i could tell you a long arduous story about our mm-hmm. our hike down into the grand canyon and back in a single day and in the people we were with and the 
the kind of craziness that occurred because of that. But yeah. nobody ever sees that. All they see is the the oh, look at the Grand Canyon, look at the mountainside, look at, and uh, you, you know you got to take baby steps. Mm, you really do. You got to get out there and take baby steps and understand. You know, at the same time, it's beautiful out there and have an adventure. Also, beware. Yeah, beware Absolutely. what your body can and cannot do for you. Well, I think also, you know, a lot of these because I, I follow a lot. I think there's this one particular skier that I follow that just like has these crazy, crazy videos and footage of him going down like literal just sheer cliff faces up in the Alps, and it's just fascinating. Um, but I, I think a lot of the videos that are out there that are more made for picturesque purposes give people. I don't want to say like an inaccurate perspective of the outdoors because, um, you know, it's just as beautiful, if not more so in real life. But I think, you know, to your point, Anthony, they also kind of it, it creates like this weird separation of, well, you know, I'm in the backyard seeing a plant for the first time as opposed to maybe I can also go and do that. Now, for me, when I watch your content, when I watch content similar, I really, you know, question or want to know what you know, drove your initial instance or interest in finding, you know, the outdoors and learning about nature and stuff like that. Can you give our viewers some insight into yeah. that? I think if you ask a lot of outdoors people, they're going to be like, oh yeah, first time I read Call of the Wild or, or <laughs> <It's a great laughs> uh, like, yeah, they're like, oh no, my aunt always took me on walks every morning. Um, and I mean, I, I was a, I was a boy scout through and through. I mean, I had the skills, not that I was like always trying to go outside when I was like super, super young. I didn't, I don't know. It was just part of my skill. And I think I took that for granted having my family just being a outdoorsy a little bit. Um, but for me personally, like my personal journey, I had the skills that my, my parents taught me and stuff when I was younger, but it's going to sound real weird, but video games, because I ended up loving these open world video games mm -hmm. where you can adventure around, interact with these, with plants, wildlife, things like Skyrim, this game I play with mm -hmm. Jack Black called Brutal Legend. It's a game that Jack Black created where you just adventure around in, like a forest in a car. <laughs> um, and and then I thought to myself, why can't I do that in real life? Mm. And then you realize there's not a lot of open spaces outside your front door. It's going to be tough. And so you create these mini adventures for yourself. I, I remember I always, when I was younger, I would just go to the top of my neighborhood and going to the top of the neighborhood, you could see out across like vast distances. I'm like, all right, one day, one day I'm going to make like the great unknown somewhere that I can travel to. And that was like the state park next door to me. Uh, and so once I got a car, it was like freedom. So, so for me, it was seeing like such a obvious contrast in these video games and in these fantasy books that I read where it's like these people, like Bull was saying, like we they didn't have a choice. Like they had to be outside. They, you had to walk to get places you had to ride a horse to get places or you just genuinely like needed to meet people when you're outside so um bridging that gap in real life i think has been what the adventure has been for me so outdoors for me isn't like i hate to say it but like preservation of the outdoors and like pure conservation justice isn't like my my flag as much as just wonder and just go outside and then expand your mind a bit because you're not going to get people excited unless they're actually relating and, and into what they're learning about. So that's See, where my gig's at. I, I think I, I love what you're saying, Anthony, but I also, and this is my viewpoint and perspective, and I could be way off on this, but I think a, a lot of really your in the Wolf's generation kind of think in the opposite direction that they, they use the, the gaming and the, 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 the partial freedom that 
the digital world allows them as as far as they want to go. It's the fence in their backyard that they want to go through is only up to there. They don't want. And, and I think that jumping over that fence, going up to the top of that hill and viewing that distance that you're talking about is what's missing today. You can't do that in, I, I don't know these game names, Skyrim or whatever the hell they are. I mean, <laughs> yeah, all, you can't all do I know is one called Stardew Valley. We talked about the other day in, yeah. in the thing, but, but I think that's, what's missing. It's, it's almost, you know, I, as an example, my first year at university, I was in a class that gave me, you know, uh, some credit for, it was called outdoor challenge. That's what it was. Nice. It, you know, it was rope courses through the woods. It was climbing over walls. It was using teamwork to decide. It was the first time somebody went, Hey, let's do a trust fall. That was, that was what they probably invented <laughs> that there, you know? And uh, of course, a lot of people follow the ground doing that, but, yeah. but it, it, that's, what's missing. There's, there's nothing that kind of pushes people out the door anymore. Yeah. And you know, I've, for the last like six years, I've worked at environmental camps and stuff like that, that have that, but I mean, it is so detached because you'll have schools that know that there are environmental camps that someone goes to in sixth grade. They're like, yep, that's, that's like your nature time. But for the rest of the six years, we're going to be in inner city LA learning this stuff. So I think, um, I mean, it's no surprise. This is a world of like dichotomy and absolutes a lot of the time. Um, so, I mean, yeah, when I've had to teach those kids that, that are of the essence that you're talking about, Bull, like it's definitely, I had a girl like cry her eyes out because she thought she was going to die the first time she saw a deer. And, um, and, and like that, that like hurt me a bit, but at the same time, I'm like, just, yeah, explore it, like understand it because yeah, there is that disconnect. And I always think like, is it like the system's fault? And I'm like, no, think about like the shoes that people have to wear, right? Because for me, a lot of it has to do with shoes. Like if I go outside and I'm wearing Vans, I'm limited. I feel completely limited by where I'm wearing when I go outside. And so a lot of these people that are buying shoes now, they're giant pumps, they're pure white. We're like encouraging each other to like clean our shoes and make sure there's no freaking dust on it. And like, no, like, of course they're not going to go outside, right? And the companies that make those shoes are only making them because people are buying them in this self-perpetuating cycle. So it's not like some evil machine. It's just like this habit that we've created for ourselves. So once we get people that are just more public about adventuring and getting freaking filthy and being okay with it, like, you know, that's it, at least where my, I'm at. Yeah, It's funny. You touched on something there that I've heard a lot lately. And especially for the, the youngest generation that's out there right now. And, and I'm, I'm 100% positive the wolf will tell you whose fault this is, and it's us baby boomers that no. you know, <laughs> kind of helicopter. No, you guys are responsible for the financial crisis. fear everything no, and lock no. every door. Yeah, and, no, no. You know, the no. fire might come and I don't blame you, you guys for everything, just the financial problems. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but continue with it, your analogy. <laughs> no, it's, you know what I'm saying. You know what yeah. I'm saying. It's a, yeah. the, the, there's, a, there's an aspect of fear to things that, is it doesn't reconcile with reality at all. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes just introducing people to that is, I, I, yeah. I know, I mean, Beowulf, uh, Cam's wife, my daughter, uh, I remember taking her to a, and this was a leadership camp, but it was in the middle of nowhere in back in Michigan. Uh, I, I took her, I remember taking her the first year and she went kicking and screaming, mm -hmm. man. She was so unhappy with me. And the only thing good I did was go on the plane with her so that she didn't freak out by herself. I don't remember how old she was. She would tell you, but she was, I don't know, 
13, 12, something like that. And she would tell you it was the, the consequences of going and in, in understanding how to jump on a horse and take care of, you know, chores and be out in the country and do the river rafting and canoeing and, and getting involved with teams of people the same age. She would tell you that uh, she ended up being one of the leadership people there over the years. That's awesome. So it's, it's almost like, uh, I, I hate to say force, but I, I wish there was a way that it, there was a, a dictate in the, well, in the, in educational system that required certain things. Well, I think, I think it comes down to, you know, the, the teacher's ability and capacity to actually be interested in whatever they're teaching. Um, I have a very particular quote that I thought was really good, um, from William A. Ward that once, and he once said that a mediocre teacher tells the good teacher explains the superior teacher demonstrates and the great teacher inspires. Now, Anthony, obviously, you know, it is incredibly apparent from the content that you make that, you know, be it with working uh, with nonprofits to tell their stories or creating science and education videos for all ages, uh, that you're on a mission to inspire others, as stated earlier, to explore roads less traveled. What inspires you and what drives you to express your interest in nature and the sciences to others in a way that's educational and engaging? Yeah, uh, think like a kid. You don't have to sit there with a book of curriculum. I mean, curriculum helps, obviously, but um, if some kid's like, in the middle of class, if you're teaching about wolves and they're like, a butterfly, you explore that butterfly. They, you do not teach them that there's a wrong way to learn about nature. Mm. Um, and so I think getting in the head of a kid and understanding that they're not going to learn linearly. I mean, this is nature. It is the most multifaceted thing on the, in the history of our existence so far. Uh, it's not going to be geometry. And to think that a lot of people teach it, like you teach a straightforward mathematical like equation, it just doesn't make sense to me. So get in the head of a kid. Understand that it's not going to be a straight path. And, I mean, for me personally, like you brought up earlier, I love to be with the kids in in the thick of it. And so I've, I teach archery. I've been teaching archery for the past uh, like six or seven years. And if – at the end of the section, at the end of the session, they're thinking they're doing great. They have to face me. They have to shoot against me. And sometimes they win. Sometimes they don't. But I do not want to be that that PE teacher, right? That just sits on the sidelines and goes, mm-hmm, "Good job." Yeah. Um, because that doesn't encourage anything. And so bringing that out into the woods, bringing bringing that ethic out into nature, I think if you can be a physical example of someone that is fit outdoor, exploring nature, that's totally fine, very safe doing it. And, and genuinely has fun and then brings that wonder to kids, I don't think there's a wrong way uh, to have that happen. So I don't know. That's, definitely that's really definitely made a bunch of mistakes at some point. <laughs> definitely yeah. ruined some things. But um, this, it's, it's hard because like Bull was bringing up and, and, and Beowulf, getting the, the kid out immediately, it's, you have to make that first contact comfortable even if you lie a little bit, because they're not going to come back. If you're like, yeah, this is nature. Like we're going to sleep on rocks tonight. Like they're not going to, they're not going to come back. And so this place I worked at, um, they bring kids from inner city LA up into um, like the forest and the snow. And it's like four feet of snow sometimes. And these kids bring sketchers and vans and they're not going to have a good time. And so that was where my disconnect was for that place. Particularly is like, there's, there's two extremes. These kids are not going to be, like bridging this super easy um so yeah there, there's a give and take with it but i would just say you, yeah, you, you gotta, gotta take, you gotta, go you gotta take away some of the fear some of the some of the uh, obstacles to getting into that that natural yeah. position right so, absolutely 
Yeah. No, well, I mean, I totally agree. How do you expect people to be able to, you know, handle themselves if they don't <laughs> ever do something or ever engage in a way like that? Um, yeah. Now, Anthony, and I've been I've been guilty of that too. Is like yeah. bringing kids in camping, and I'm like, oh, oh right, you you need toilet paper. I don't <laughs> I I don't need toilet paper, but I crap right. right. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, and right, yeah, because you that. could you could do as much to turn somebody off if you're not thinking those things through. Correct. That's yeah. Exactly right. it. Well, I'd love to talk about your most impactful experience in the outdoors. Do you have any that are like just that stand out in your mind? Oh, yeah. Let's see. What do I got? Um, Blue crab blood for sure. Blue crabs are pretty awesome. Um, You know, it it was interesting. I I think a big big one was actually SeaWorld a little bit because, um, you you know, you hear so much about it. They have obviously animals and and enclosures and, and you can't synthesize an ocean in a tank. Yeah. No matter how hard you try, I mean, you could do your absolute best and spend your entire life doing it. You're not going to do it. Um, so yeah, there are animals in captivity, but let's say wolf right now, you see a dying sea lion on the beach. You call whatever number you find on Google you fi- and that's a government number. And you say, Hey, listen, there's a dying animal here. They're going to go, cool. They're going to hang up the phone. They're going to pick up their phone. They're going to call SeaWorld. And SeaWorld's going to drive on a boat seven hours on the Mexican coast or up in Alaska to help that animal, whether it's a bird or, or a sea lion. So they do such good work, like helping animals out in the real world. And then they inspire other people. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to have these animals in enclosures. You They're don't hear anything so about people. that ever. No, I've, I've never even, I didn't even it's know too, they had a... Yeah. The ability to do that it makes. I'm going to go to sense. SeaWorld a little bit. They're going to have a a counter when I go over, and when I worked there, it was twenty five thousand animals saved. But I'm sure. I mean, that was four five, four years ago. So I think it's going to be higher. I'll be curious to see what it's at today. So so why isn't something like that highlighted? I know SeaWorld is a commercial enterprise. Certainly, it's an entertainment yeah. place. I I love it. It's you know yeah I you know seeing this and I but I as a patron of something like that, I'm not thinking of the, the tank environment as opposed to the real thing like you talk about. Right. So, you know, maybe what's missing on something like that is really highlighting, not just with a counter, but with some kind of encounter that says, this is what we really do. And this is what we're, you know what? I think you got to like pay a little extra for it, but there are tours to go to the rehab center. That's next door to SeaWorld. Um, but yeah, I mean, making that like super public just as much as SeaWorld, I think is going to be the next step because there's no there's no legislation for getting new new whales right now for orcas. As soon as these orcas are, are old age and die, there's no way they're getting new ones. So I think that's why they're strategically trying to shift over to like more roller coasters. But um, yeah, I mean, to, to have like an open sourced like not open source but openly yeah. uh, available place to go to to see these animals in recovery um, well, i think the zoos do a pretty good job of that uh, at least the san diego yeah. the the white i always call it wild animal park whatever they call it now up in escondido yeah. there but and then of course in balboa they i think they do a good job of exposing the fact that that they're you know they're they're trying to save these animals and mm-hmm. it's not just come and look at these things behind fences and cages yeah. And you know what? I don't know when the last time you went to SeaWorld is, but there definitely is a big push for that, especially when I was working there. But um, it's happening. It's just slow, you know, mm-hmm. but they're doing good work, whether or not they're telling everybody. 
Yeah. Well, well I think good. I think there have there tends to be a, a social ever since that was it Blackfish or what was was that the the document? Yeah, yeah, Blackfish. Yeah, there's kind of been like with almost every entity that does any sort of good, if they have any blemishes, there's been like a social backlash. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, uh, that company that made Blackfish is like super into exposés, mm-hmm. whether or not they're always super on point from what I hear. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you got to listen to the source, even if something is an expose, they might have an, uh, some agenda too. But anyways, back to your original question, Wolf. Uh, my inspiration comes from the ethics behind this kind of stuff. Um, so, so that was one big aha moment being like, Oh my God, my brain, like they're in captivity, but they're helping. Like what's, what's the, what's the right answer? And, and I think as humans, we have a very short sighted myopic view of what the right answer is. I mean, the world's 4.6 billion years old. Um, humans have been around for 160,000, give or take, Homo sapiens. I mean, we're we're not even a blip. We're we're like half of a snap sound on the planet of the Earth. Um, and so, maybe long after we're gone for the next 500 million years, like what's what's our legacy? Number one is what I'm really trying to figure out. And so every time I step outside, I think about that. I think. What's my legacy personally, and how can I do that to help the the human population? So every hike is literally just like an epiphany for me. Um, but uh, backpacking and Mount Hood, checking out Lost Lake uh, Resort is like this lake that is um, super busy on weekends, but like no one's there on the weekdays, and it's just this clear, pristine lake overlooking Mount Hood, seeing like these these priceless beauties. Um, being in Vietnam, uh, there's up in Ha Long Bay where they filmed the newest King Kong movie. Um, they it's it's amazing there's there's a um cat ball langer it's a kind of primate that lives up there there's like 70 to 80 left right now they're coming on the rebound but um that entire thing is like all helped by this one person named neo leonard and he is one person that runs this entire foundation by himself and he almost personally has brought these animals back from the brink of extinction wow. so like, especially in these smaller companies or countries, it's it's not about, like, getting, like, the whole band together. Sometimes it's literally one dude doing the craziest thing to help the world. And that's kind of where my inspirations are. That's awesome. Yeah, and those things have to be highlighted. They really do. They have to be highlighted and exposed yeah. in a way. Of course, today's today with the way we can do things, the way we can communicate, the way we, you know, your, your uh, situation with Instagram, et cetera, that we just talked about. I mean, that's the way to get people to understand what's actually happening out there or what's not happening. I remember you you had a something you put on. I don't remember which platform it was, but you were talking about the, the, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and some of the cleanup efforts that are going on with that that are long, long, long overdue. And, of course, the flip side of that is the dang thing's been there so long it's created its own ecosystem. Right. So now we're going to have to disrupt that to get it actually to a better place. And I mean, it's always a combination of good and bad, no matter what you look at. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, if you, if you tear up a driveway, there's going to be weeds growing between like, so (laughs) it's, you know, it's, it's, it's worth tearing up the driveway. (laughs) Um, yeah. And so there's a lot, obviously it's environmentalism is a super hyper politicized, Mm -hmm. but I mean, if you look from like just a, a not even like a, a, a scientist perspective, but just a timeline of the planet perspective, we as just a human thing just have such a big impact on our little snap of existence that, I mean, I 
I'm going to be annoying. I don't care too much about politics <laughs> unless it's helping the environment mm-hmm. because that's honestly, we're going to die. Like humans are a blip on the planet's time scale, but what happens after us, that's up to us as well. And so I think that's where our number one priority lies. Financial freedoms and all that stuff is very important. But for me, I mean, I don't know if you told me to like wear a monk's hood and give all my money away to make sure like the state was like free of like microplastics, I would do that. You know, um, it's well, just what, the, the, well, the long adding to that, though. What about the I mean, what is what is your I mean, I've heard you say a couple of times the snap, the half snap and we're a blip on the planet and all that kind of stuff. And there's there's certainly yeah. I mean, you can look at the timeline of in the extinction events that have occurred over the timeline of our earth and you know that we're not going to last forever but what about the you know continuation of our species right in in the legacy yeah. not that we leave behind but that we can carry with us right that's that's half the half the battle as well yeah absolutely and so if you think about that i mean yeah carrying our species on to like the next stars and going out there imagine meeting another species and they're going to be like yo you guys made it too and you're like yeah we did it and they're like, yeah, so tell us, like, tell us about your world. And they're like, and we're like, oh, yeah, we killed it off first before Actually, we left. We used most of it to make a spaceship. Uh, but there were some great animals. Oh, we have books like of, you got to think about our validity as a species mm-hmm. if we're not actually taking care of our, our mom. Right. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think there's a there's an interesting because because I agree with you. I think that there's 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 obviously and we can talk about this from a lot of different perspectives, from theological or philosophical. Um, there's obviously a need to take care of, for lack of a better uh, term, your room. Right. You want to make sure that the mm-hmm. things that you have, the things that you uh, are blessed with, you take care of. So they last longer and they benefit you and potentially those around you. I think the thing that I've always seen is that concerned me is the party of individuals that are gung-ho so much about a lot of these conservationists not necessarily you or the groups that are actually doing the work but the people that are talking on behalf of them they tend to convolute the message a little bit and so my concern is we have a lot of individuals who are now very hyper focused on something in so much that rather than taking the time to have an open discussion a little bit more they seem to be jumping the gun what would be your perspective on how not only can you know our leaders, but potentially individuals like yourself, how can we make a cognitive and conscious ethical move to change things so that if there is any backlash of tearing up the driveway, it doesn't completely, you know, destroy our ability to leave our home, if that makes sense? Yeah, Um, that's a great question. I wrote an article about this maybe four years ago. Uh, I called it the dangers of mainstreaming environmentalism uh, because Anything that is publicized will have extremes, Any, anything. So uh, environmentalism, environmentalism is not immune to that. So uh, yes, going forward into this uh, new era, um, it's, I think where we're at in terms of a society is with the social media stuff, in my opinion, at least, it's, we're in a shock culture. No matter what side of the fence you're on, you are gravitated towards the bold headlines. I mean, literally, I mean, no matter what news station you look at, they are in bold headlines at the bottom. Things are run past. There are people that are urgently telling you things because they don't want whatever they're talking about to happen. They want you to stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that, that's a number one priority for them. Um, and same thing with environmentalism. Now that it's just kind of a new prod. So, um, 
I think, oh God, you're asking me to solve the issue. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I think uh, if it's easier, I think the, maybe bring it down to the, the individual level. Because yeah. when I look at, when I, when I talk to someone about environmentalism, I look at it like, yeah, we should both take care of our space. And I, you know, I want to take care of my space and I want you to take your care of your space. So we're not infringing. So, I mean, yeah. And maybe I can couch it a little bit differently too, because I, I think that it's, you know, there's, there's an individual viewpoint mm-hmm. and it, it, there's a pendulum that swings too often because of the shock culture we're in, perhaps because of the political politicization of, of a lot of these different subjects we talk about. And I, you know, the wolf and I have often talked about this with other subjects, I personally am more of a, uh, an incrementalist. And, uh, you know, what mm. I mean by that, of course, is I like to take kind of deliberate steps. I like to be convinced of a direction to go and mm. modify that as I grow and evolve my, you know, consciousness of that problem or that, that challenge. And I like to take, you know, steps in a direction, but I don't want to do it where I absolutely burn the current house down that has been created. Yeah, and no, I think totally. that's what yeah. a lot of people want to do on any side of these these issues. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I love the outdoors. I love the fact that we've got all these national parks now. There are a lot of people that are like, "Why did we do that? You took up space where we could have, you know, created more ranches near Yellowstone, or whatever <laughs> the case may be." As an example, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but at the at, on the other side of the ca- uh, coin is, I, I think there's, I think you put it in the notes. As a matter of fact, isn't there a, a push? for 30 percent by 2030 yep. of the land out there in the in the continental united states to be designated as safe right it, or however it's de- defined those kind of things are great you put goals out there and then you take steps toward them but you don't wipe out you know half of our species because that we're only that click mm. right i understand that yeah and uh yeah, those those projections are great. I would love that. 2030, 30%. We have a very short I mean, we're trying to impeach our presidents like crazy. Like mm-hmm. it's just not it's not if, not if we had if we had one solid leader, like whether or not they're like evil or great, if we just had one solid plan for like 10 years, it, things would go differently or they would go worse, but at least they would go in a direction. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, no, 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 no. So imagine, I mean, we're we're exponentially kind of getting worse in that regard. Imagine any kind of 10-year plan where where we're expected to, as this giant roller coaster of our our morals are going crazy in the, in the governments to, to actually get to that. So I think that's where a lot of the environmentalists that are more extreme come from. Like, you guys aren't going to make it to 2030. Are you crazy? <laughs> Um, and then at the same time, like people have faith that, that, yeah, we'll slowly get to that point. But also those are over the same camps as the procrastinators that maybe we'll get a change in policy before that happens. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a chess game that I am not good at playing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. uh, to your point out the incremental thing, yes, I would add a caveat that we are an exponential race. We are increased technology exponentially. We, we industrialize exponentially, we populate exponentially. So an incremental plan is all good and well, as long as you accommodate that trajectory, which I don't think we're doing. Um, I would add though to that, or, or maybe counter that a little bit is I, I agree that there's a, um, 
a trajectory that needs to be evaluated and understood. And it's, I, I don't know if you've read the book, The Tipping Point Gladwell in the past. Maybe mm-hmm. you have, maybe you haven't. But the, I, I, I kind of view it the same way. There's, there's a, a rise in whatever direction we take via policy or via where the conscientiousness of, of our population is going, whatever the subject we want to talk about. There's this slow rise in understanding of what we want to do. And then there's kind of a tipping point where it, it rises dramatically and hits that, hits that uh, trajectory that you were talking about. And yeah, you've got to be conscious of that. And when that trajectory comes in, you've got to be uh, adept enough to deal with it and change policy and move toward that in a more rapid manner or in a slower manner, depending on which, what, what we're talking about. Uh, but I, I think my point is, is that because of the back and forth nature of the, our government, because of the policy, because of the, the immediacy of the information coming at us, that it's, okay, let's burn it down. Let's build it up. Let's burn it down. Let's build it up. Let's, it, whatever we talk about, it's every two to four years that that conversation goes on and nothing actually gets done except fighting, right? So I completely agree and, with you. <laughs> and I, th- I think if everybody went out into a freaking meadow up in Lake Tahoe and sat down and uh, I get, guess got in a nice little circle and saying kumbaya and talked about this a little bit, we'd probably be better off. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You're absolutely right. It's it's a tough, I mean, I wish I had an answer. I don't. I mean, there's a totalitarian answer saying like, yeah, if you had like a dictator to make sure that you had one way going, but you lose so much along the way there. And at the same time, if that one person loses their path, I mean, who knows? And that's so, that's there's usually there's, what happens. A lot of dictators come to power for exact reason we're talking about. Exactly. Then they get to power and they say, oh, hold it. You mean I can do anything I want now? <laughs> yeah. So. so I don't have an answer. However, um, mutual arising is something that comes to mind where where it's it's just in the background. Like, I mean, climate change was in a talk when I first was like learning about it. Um, I remember our our debate coach was like, climate change is not real. You do not teach this in our debate class uh, to like all of our students when they were preaching it. Cause I mean, we had to choose the other biodiversity point for one of these debate talk- topics, but he's like, do not use that argument. We do not believe it in the school. This is seven years later and it's like recognized by every major country. So um, yeah, it's, it's something to, it's something to look at, but overall it's just this, it's on the table. It's a topic that needs to be talked about. There are extremists that are really discrediting both sides, 100%. Um, but in the meantime, everyone's learning about it. So we just want to make sure it's not like an Al Gore thing where everyone's like, oh, Al Gore's a, a quack, so we're not going to listen to him anymore, yeah. and then discredit everything that he previously talked about. Well, I think I think it's important to recognize, and I think you said this a little bit earlier, Anthony, is that our impact on our world is much greater than any other species that's been on this planet that we know of, right? Ever. And yeah. and if you recognize that, first of all, you got to recognize that the climate's always changed, one way or another. You know, but the reasons, the exacerbation of that change, is part of our impact on this world. So, the two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. You don't have to be on one side of this camp or the other. Um, yeah, if I could talk on that. Absolutely. If I could talk on that climate change point, yeah. I mean, there's so much more evidence coming out um, about, yeah, the, the the climate's changing like crazy. And whether or not even the most, like, like cynical people that, that don't think that we're affecting the climate do say that we are contributing in some manner. If it's 1% or 
or 75%, it's, it is happening. We are contributing vast quantities of something, right? Um, but is it actually enough to change it? And I mean, my philosophy is why the hell are you arguing it? Why aren't you just like helping it? Like mm. if it's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, yeah, I'm stabbing you, but it's not killing you. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. the argument, the argument isn't if we're going to die. The argument should be how optimal can we make our planet? Like mm-hmm. how great can we make it for our kids? It's not about like the doom and gloom. Like, are you right? Are we going to destroy the world or are you wrong? Are we not going to destroy the world? It should just be like a general stewardship thing. Like, yeah. Is that too much to ask to just be like, listen, this is just something that I think we should all pay attention to. I, I think that society and there's many to, camps to like figure it out how to do that too. So mm. sorry. Well, no, no, no. I, I apologize. I interrupted you. I, I, I think societies get to a certain degree of affluence and they have to take a different tact, <coughs> excuse me, on their stewardship. Mm-hmm. apologize for that. Now I've got technical problems myself. Uh, it, the, 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 you know, the contribution of, uh, you know, carbon and, and a lot of the, the things that are contributing to, to the climate change we're talking about come from societies that are trying to bring themselves up to a level of economic affluence that we have. And that's a challenge. But the, the question is, is do you, when you're in a society like ours here in North America, do you ignore the fact that you're already at a place where you can start to do something about these things? And that, that's the, you know, of course, I'm, as most people know, I'm right down the middle of most of these arguments and can see both sides of things and understand that kind of stuff. And being an incrementalist, as I said earlier, you kind of recognize that. But I think your point is very well taken, that why argue something we know that we're at least contributing to why instead don't you take the tact of of trying to be a better steward yeah and then on that point think about this imagine tomorrow new science comes out that we are falling into the sun and if we don't have two if we we have two years to fix it and then at the end of that two years we have a way a machine to just push us right back on track gravitationally to fix our rotation, would you guys do it? Would you guys press that button to fix the planet, or would you let it fall in the sun? Is this it's natural? It's totally, <laughs> it's, it's totally natural for the sun to fall, for the for the Earth to fall. That in the sun. will we eventually, eventually happen, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, if you guys had the opportunity to change it, would you? You could ask. You know, feel free to answer. Well, I think the and bull, if I if I may, I think I, I think my position on that would be to follow up with a few questions before I make the decision. Uh, I think that there tends to be a, a, and it doesn't mean that I don't believe in these type of things or I don't think they're viable. I think that what happens is that there's a lot of authoritative presence with a lot of these arguments that people demand that you acknowledge before considering a contrarian point. Um, now, I'm not saying that that makes those arguments incorrect. It doesn't. It just means that I think our society tends to have a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction to these things. And then when the fallout from that knee-jerk reaction comes about, they just says, oh, what happened anyway? What did have depends. So in response, I mean, I think I would ask a lot of questions. And if that turned out to be the case, and if I could push a button that similar to like the trolley problem would train change the direction of the train 
that would be a very hard moral and ethical argument and decision to make um, that I don't know if I would like it to be entirely left up to me. So to answer your question, uh, I take a lot of time to think about it. Um, but I do think that there are some things in society that we can do collectively together um, in moving forward in an ethical and uh, a consciously intentional way that I think are viable. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that people tend to just convolute into the message anyway, which to your point kind of discredits both sides. So I, you know, I think the, the real problem comes in, in, in you were talking about the girl that, that was in one of your camps that was crying about seeing the deer and all that kind of stuff. And in those, those, that sense of fear, I mean, we can look at that and hear that anecdote or that story and go, you know, something's not right with the way she was taught, right? It seems very obvious to us. But the the fact is, is that we're all individuals. We all have these different points of view. And then we have collective or tribal points of view and, and all those things going a million different directions. So the problem is, is something, Anthony, that you might see perfectly clearly because you're out in the woods and doing your thing and you're a naturalist and you understand these things. You have a perspective, a worldly perspective, by the way, which 99% of the population of the world does not have. And so you have a perspective that gives you something that says, Hey, this is obvious. The, the, the problem isn't that you know better or you know worse. The problem is other people's perspective. It's not there yet. So you have to find those creative ways that we were talking about earlier to bridge that gap and make people understand that getting out in the environment's a good thing, understanding the the our, our stewardship is a good thing, understanding what people in Vietnam might be doing as individuals to help a species out is a good thing, mm-hmm. not just some one-off arbitrary thing that doesn't help anybody. So that's the that's I think really the challenge. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. And and uh, yeah, I mean, heck, we're trying. There's plenty of, I mean, there's more nonprofits created every day to just try to do stuff like this. Um, but yeah, overall, it's it's hard to put a finger on something and say like this is this is the the right path, right? It's a lot. I mean, it, first off, it's regional. Like if I if I could redo the lines on countries and states. It would all be based off of like the regions of mountains or lakes and because otherwise it's policy blanketed across this entire area. So um, it's it is cultural. You're right. And so getting into those cultures, part of me is like part of this globalization trend is, yeah, you haven't you have this huge theater to talk to. I mean, I posted a video a week ago and it has 800,000 views and they're from everywhere. I mean, that's such an amazing thing to, mm-hmm. to be able to do. But at the same time, like you were talking about, there are other countries that want to look like us. They want to have practices like us. When I was in Ghana, um, they drink water bottles like us. They have they have disposable snacks like us. They have all this amazing stuff that that are are part of our lives. They don't have any infrastructure for disposal of this stuff. It goes straight into the ocean. It goes it the beaches. You can't see the beaches. I mean, there's just tires and bottles. I mean, it's it's horrifying for me at least i mean so as uh, now as i'm going to talk as an american um we have such a huge audience a potential to talk to everybody on the planet and that's a huge responsibility you know you know if you're a teacher in front of 180 students um would you act the same as if you were just hanging out with friends and um i think there's a responsibility there that that 
personally, I would take more seriously. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do with my stuff is just, if you have an audience, might as well educate them and make them happy. Yeah. I think that's, that's and something that have most an audience and you're doing some nice things. Yeah. I think that's something that most, uh, educational leaders don't really take into consideration. At least from my experience, when I was in education, there was a lot of teachers where you could tell they were just kind of there for the paycheck. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. That's a lot of people in any industry, but I do think what you're doing currently, you know, online is, is incredibly impactful. Now let's, let's dive a little bit into American Ninja Warrior. Now you've had experience right. as a uh, professional athlete, professional archer. Um, can you give our listeners and viewers some insight into what happens behind the, behind the scenes with American Ninja Warrior? Yeah. So if you folks haven't heard about American Ninja Warrior, so it's a TV show where a bunch of crazy people decide to do obstacles for money. Um, but overall, I mean, it's kind of money. No one, I don't think people in the last like four years have gotten a million dollars at the very end, the, the thing at the end of the tunnel, but it's fun to just do. And it's a cool community of just like athletes that were never good at stuff when they were kids and now we're all doing this thing on tv that's like yeah we're at least like good at something at least that's how (laughs) i see it um and so i started rock climbing uh, a long time ago just to accent me hiking i wanted to be able to access more hiking trails get up into more uh dangerous areas honestly but while being safe and so i became a parkour teacher i became a rock climbing instructor I did a few competitions of like speed climbing and it's just so fun. Like that's what just fills my heart up. Like nature for me is great because it just allows me a place to adventure. Um, And so that's why my personally, I want to preserve it. American Ninja Warrior took that piece of like how weird I am and threw it into a personality on TV, which is super funny. And I think it's kind of hilarious. But yeah, so I'm the archery ninja. We all have our own sticks on the show. So I have a bow and arrow. I have some arrows on my back. And um, I do the course. And for the last two years, I've gotten uh, to be a national finalist on the show. In twenty er, in season 13, I was uh, top 17 in the nation. And then this year, I fell face first in the middle of the obstacles. And I got a concussion and blacked out, woke up in the hospital. So I was out of the competition. But I was still 30th in the country at the time. Um but that had, had yeah. to be quite a uh, quite a yeah. experience right there. Face Dude, first. People the thought end. people thought I died like straight up. They thought a person died on the course today because I was like seizing up and like oh mm. it was horrible. But um, anyways, uh, behind the scenes, everyone's super nice. Uh, the entire because you're not really competing against each other. It's very much against the time and about if you can make it through the course. So it's very camaraderie based. That's the the best kind of sport that I enjoy is. Like behind the scenes, we're like hugging each other and being like, dude, let's, let's go crazy. Like, awesome. I bet, I bet if you do it this way, then we'll do better this way. And so we're all like strategizing behind the scenes of how we're going to do it. So there's no competition really. People there are super nice. I mean, I don't, I wish this almost wasn't a show that way I could just do it for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I know for me, there's a pressure to do it for the show. There's a lot of leagues and stuff that are smaller that have way better athletes, to be honest, but they just don't have the uh, TV-ness maybe, or maybe they just didn't get called this year. Um, well, it is a show, right? They, they want, they want pers- certain TV personalities. Show. They want certain things to, to talk about and do, and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't air the, the, uh, the face-first plunge, right? No, oh, yeah, I, have yeah, it on a, I have it on like a backstage video camcorder oh, God, recording. Of I'm not sure I want to see it. <laughs> That's no. it. Yeah. 
I honestly, I personally can't watch it because you can see me moving around, like rolling and like bleeding out of my nose and flinching. And there's no one behind the scenes. There's Jeez. just, it's just, and so, um, yeah. And Yikes. I had to jump to get, I had to jump to grab the ring and I fell to grab the ring and I landed on my head. And so my body was not moving except my hand. Like I was still trying like to you're grab still it. grabbing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was nuts, man. And then the next day, like, oh, I had to tell a lot of people I was still alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet. But well, what's the uh, what's yeah. the preparation behind all that? Because I know obviously there's rock climbing, there's the parkour aspect. I mean, do you have like a certain workout split or a certain type of like food that you intake, or what? Is, what's your exercise schedule in order to get like in America Ninja Warrior shape? I'm the worst person to ask, but I think <laughs> uh, I don't know if you can see on my hand, but I have a finger brace because I actually tore a tendon in my hand. It's I am very scared. It's not going to heal in time for the show. Um, I just thought that was, was a strange looking ring. Oh yeah, no. Nope. Anthony's <laughs> married to pain is what this means. Because <laughs> uh, it's on my ring finger on my left hand. It's uh, yeah. Anyways, um, so uh, yeah, I I personally I just for ethical reasons I don't eat a lot of beef. Um, I have a lot of veggie burgers. I have vegan protein. Um, I mean, I have chicken and stuff. I had chicken this morning and eggs. I absolutely love eggs. So I'll probably have like six eggs a day mm. um, if I can with a protein shake in the morning. Um, and then my workouts on Monday, I'll rock climb and maybe go on a run. Tuesday is Ninja Warrior. We train in the middle of the night because that's when the show is. So my training is from 830 at night to 11. Hmm. And so I do that Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, they're also open on Fridays and Saturdays, but um, I kind of go crazy at the weekend. I don't know. I personally feel okay skipping out on workouts a lot because I move like crazy. Like yesterday I shot 300 arrows on a, on a trail in Balboa park while hiking. So like, I'm always moving like you guys were talking about earlier. So I know a lot of these people, uh, they have the nine to five and they, they have to get up and then physically work out. Well, I'm, I'm more fluid about it, but rock climbing, man, rock climbing is great. I would recommend anybody that has not tried it or has only tried it a couple times. It is just the most natural way to move your body. And, uh, also parkour is super fun. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, learning, I, learning, learning how not to fall and then yeah. learning how to fall. Mm, thumbs up yeah you know what though that's you got to really i would imagine start that kind of stuff pretty young because i i when i when i used to live in arizona when i was younger i i would go out on these hikes all the time up on this area called the mogion rim there was just some beautiful hikes up there and, mm-hmm. and uh there was some and and unfortunately i always kind of went alone which is not the right thing to do in general. You probably do some of that yourself, I would imagine, if you're doing rock climbing. <gasps> Alone? I yes. never. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, sure. I remember one time I was climbing up the, the kind of the side of this face of this kind of rock structure that I was on, and there's a big flat area I was getting to that I'd been up many times before. And uh, I, I kind of slipped a little bit. And I looked around, and I was like, you know what? If I'd have slipped just a fractional more, uh, nobody would ever find me, <laughs> you know? And I was yep. like, what the hell am I doing this by myself for? You would have been but on a milk carton. From the uh, other carton. side of that, it is exhilarating. It is exciting. And it's something I knew I could do. Now, as you get older, you still think you can do that stuff. And you really can anymore, but you still think you can. So there's yeah. there's danger involved, of course, but there isn't anything. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the people end up doing those things. I mean, I literally had to take classes as a backpacking guide, and that was my major, was outdoor education and leadership in risk assessment. We had classes in inclusion, risk assessment, um, 
I didn't get my degree unless I backpacked for 17 days in the wild with my crew. Like that was part of my prerequisite. Wow. So, um, yeah, like I, I had to train a lot to do the weird, crazy stuff that I did, but I could understand. I mean, it's crazy. It's scary. And there's a book that I read. Uh, it was this fantasy book called Name of the Wind, but there's this part in it where it, this guy goes, this forest, these areas are so not traveled. If you died, no one would even need to bury you because no one would find your bones. And I was like, I do that all the time. <laughs> My bones don't even be found. Um, so I feel that same fear that you feel, Bull. But um, yeah. I, it's it's uh, once you get enough, like, I don't know. I mean, not skill isn't the right word, but like. Well, it's a, it's a fluent. blend between skill and confidence, right? Yeah. I, I, it's got to be. You, you can't do that be. stuff unless you're confident that you're going to be able to do it. Yeah. For me, though, it's – yeah, I guess there's a level of confidence, but there's like a fluidity to it where it's like – I mean, just as we're talking English right now, I mean, I feel that with doing things like rock climbing and, and moving that people it would be like gibberish to them, right? So it's it's a fluency. I mean, it's hard to say. I feel like confidence doesn't quite encapture it, but – but it's just like doing it so much to where it's totally fine. Like up on the Mogollon Rim, right on the quarter of the Colorado Plateau, where you're talking about. I mean, there's there's cave dwellings of of um, tribes out there where there's rock holds going up 200 feet, and that's how they just get out of their house in the morning. Like Ugh. it's a totally different vibe, yeah. and that's the fluency that I mean, we have a capacity to do, but we sometimes we just don't tap into it. You know, I've been to that place you're talking about. I think it was called Oak. I want to say Oak Creek, but that's not right. Oak, uh, Oak Creek from Sedona, Oak Canyon, Walnut Creek, Walnut, Walnut Canyon. Creek. Walnut Canyon is what I was thinking of, I think. Yeah, was. okay. But, but the, I remember the first time I visited there, and I saw all those structures, and I was like, wow. These people, it was just natural for them, you know, at it's, that time. They just climb naturally up those things. And that's, I think, what you're talking about. There's, you do something long enough, and it becomes just, you know, part of the routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, part of exactly. the learned routine. Yeah. You see, like on the, on Instagram, all those people that like hammer in nails in other countries, and they do it so perfectly timed on top of each other. <laughs> yeah, to us that seems crazy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like insane, but that is it's that's the fluency I'm talking about. Like, mm-hmm. there's just there's no second guessing. It's just part of saying words, muscle memory, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Muscle memory. That's a good way to put it. Well, Anthony, I'd love to, I'd love to end on your experience when it comes to like conservationist activity. Are there any particular stories that you can tell our audience? And then in addition to that, are there any groups that you would encourage our audience to check out so they make maybe can support maybe with their time or with, you know, some donations? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two that come to my head really quick is, uh, the orangutan Republic foundation. They do education work for locals in Borneo where the orangutans are. Um, so instead of a bunch of white dudes going in there being like, we're going to save everybody. Um, (laughs) they're actually helping the locals understand the conservation, the ecology, and they give scholarships to those people. So I think that's, that is the future. I mean, that's the way to do it. Um, it's not like a big old Superman coming in to save the day. Uh, so that, uh, the cat ball linger project who I brought up earlier, the Neil Leonard man that he, he basically is helping bring these guys back from the edge of extinction. They're like these little Cheeto primates. They're Cheeto colored. They're so bright orange. They're crazy. You got to look it up, but they're in, they're up in uh, Vietnam. Um, and you know, yeah, Wolf, it's, it's hard to say that like some conservation issues work with, with good conservation practices. Mm -hmm. And there are others that sometimes just need like an unorthodox helping hand. Um, 
there is a, a book that I read called Song of the Dodo that is full of these instances. And one of them is this guy who there's uh, these falcons that were re-released. And it might be falcons or hawks. I, I read a long time ago. But since they were re-released, they didn't have an instinct to take care of their eggs. They would step on them by accident or sit on them or just leave them out to just get cold and die. Um, and so what this guy did, he was a great rock climber. He would climb up to these little holes in the sides of the cliff, find the eggs, replace them with fake eggs, and I don't know, pretty much do whatever they wanted. They could smash them or just break them, and he would he would take care of them wow. until they were about to hatch. He would climb back up the side of the surface, switch them at the last second, and this population went from like 25 to 350 just by this one guy doing that. So, I mean, wow. it's not like uh, as much as it is about like like marching policy and, and putting up a flag somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is just about people being part of the stewards, being decent. And it's not about like writing grants and being sometimes boring, which is uh, essential, but doing those unorthodox things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's c- kind of like being Jane Goodall before she got popular, right? Yeah. You, know, you exactly. go over, you, you handle things on an individual basis in maybe a different way in an unorthodox way that, that people never even thought of. And that makes such an initial impact that, who knows, 20, 30, 40 years from now, the policies change to a way that, that reflects, a, again, a better stewardship of those, of those you know, um, possibly, you know, the people on, or the, not people, but the uh, uh, animals on the edge of extinction. Exactly. And so, I mean, that's a great example of Jane Goodall. Like, when she was younger, imagine how, how alone she felt in terms of conservation, right? I mean, she literally had to pick up a gun, like, to make a point. And if she could see, I mean, she could, she's alive. Yeah. If she sees where we're at now, I mean, I'm sure she would be very happy with the progress that we've made. We definitely need to make more. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that's kind of, a, at least for me, that's a nice perspective, being like, even though we think we're a trash can of a society right now, like, she she probably is very happy with where we're at and that people are actually listening and understanding where where the where the stakes are at now a little bit more than previously yeah yeah well i think we all we all can get better and i think we will uh, i personally uh, you know to to the bull's point you know he's an incrementalist i i'm an incrementalist as well but i also am a humanist so i, I really believe that you know we have the capacity to change we have the capacity to advance and become better and especially with you know paying attention to content like yours learning from content like yours and making a personal and independent change brought on by the inspiration that you provide through your content and through your education. Um, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Bull, but I think that that's a, a pretty good uh, pretty good end for the episode. Yeah, absolutely. And by yeah. the way, you know, as a bull, of course, I respect tremendously anybody that decides not to eat uh, beef for ethical reasons. We all have our own lines, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Totally. Well, Anthony, thank you again for joining us. For our viewers and our listeners, where would be the best possible places that they can find your content and that they can support your initiatives, your goals, what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. If you guys want to collaborate or do anything uh, wacky with good old Anthony here, uh, find me at Instagram at Outdoor Anthony, all one word. Uh, or you could just check out my website and send me a little message and we can message and, and talk about weird stuff. But it's uh, AnthonyPorter.net. .com was taken. Don't know who has it. 
<laughs> well, we'll make sure to include all the details below. Uh, and additionally to the Wolf and Bull Pack, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you. We appreciate you, Anthony. And to our viewers and our listeners, we hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you like our content, you can find us at the Wolf and Bull on Instagram. And if you happen to like listening to conversations like this, captivating conversations without conditions, you can go ahead and give us a subscription. That'd be absolutely wonderful. We appreciate you and we think that it would be a wonderful time to have you viewing and listening to our conversations and engaging in them. So to uh, to everyone listening and to uh, my fellow co-host and our guest, thank you for joining us and we can't wait to speak with you again soon. Thank you for tuning into the Wolf and Bull podcast. Our team here at the Wolf and Bull and Damore Media are so happy you spent some time with us. If you liked this episode, please leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A review will help grow our show and we'd love for you to be a part of our family. If you'd like more content from The Wolf and Bull, you can find it at our Instagram, at The Wolf and Bull, and on YouTube and Rumble via The Wolf and Bull. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.